0: Welcome to Brainstorm, Decoding Depression, where we will dig into discussions about mood disorders. We are here to change the way we think and talk about depression in an accessible, approachable way with a leading expert in the field. No topic is off limits. Coming to you from Dallas, Texas, this is Brainstorm. opinions expressed are only our own and do not reflect those of UT Southwestern, the O'Donnell Brain Institute, the UT System, or the state. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Brainstorm Decoding Depression podcast. I'm Katherine Huff, here today with Dr. Manish Shah and Dr. Madhukar Trevetti. Today we will be talking about psychedelics and mental health. Promising preliminary evidence for psilocybin in treating disorders such as tobacco use disorder, alcohol use disorder, depression, and anxiety suggest a pathway for treatment for certain mental health disorders. Dr. Madhukar Trevetti is the founding director of the CDRC. Manish Jha is a board-certified psychiatrist and assistant professor at the CDRC. Dr. Jha, we are so excited to speak with you about this topic. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about your background when it comes to researching depression and what treatments you have studied?
1: Thanks, Catherine. As you know, uh, working with Dr. Trivedi, we have focused on aspects of depression, such as work productivity, non-work-related well, activity impairment, or symptoms such as irritability or anger attacks that are often ignored in treatment and management of depression. We have also focused on development of new treatments as well as better approaches of using the currently available treatments, which has been the topic of one of Dr. Trivedi's earlier podcast. Specifically, the treatments that we have investigated include several trials uh, that led to the FDA approved indications of S-ketamine. I have also been involved with studies of ketamine for people with major depressive disorder, as well as a study comparing ketamine to ECT.
0: That's very impressive. We're happy to have you with us. Now, Dr. Trevetti, there seems to be a renaissance of sorts in the interest being given to psychedelics, specifically psilocybin, to treat depression. How did we get here?
2: Thank you, Catherine. I think we have to set ourselves up to understand that for the last 30 years, we have focused primarily on working in serotonin or epinephrine systems like Prozac and all of its other progeners. What has happened in the last 10 years is we've really moved beyond that with several new treatment approaches like ketamine, S-ketamine, that work through a totally different method of, of treatment. We also now have TMS or transmagnetic stimulation, which actually works directly on stimulating st- circuits in the brain. There are also studies looking at synthetic hormones like uh, brexanolone, which is used for postpartum depression. These things have given us an idea that we really need to be thinking beyond just the sy- traditional serotonergic or norepinephrine agents. And in that light, I think there's now a very renewed interest in psilocybin and other psychedelic agents to study for depression, anxiety, and other things. Psilocybin has a long history and there has been a lot talked about and, and spoken about for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We have a long past history, for example, people have used it for sacramental use of psilocybin. There are artifacts from Central America, South America that suggest its use that goes back hundreds or even a couple of thousand of years. There are cave paintings in no, from Northern African uh, art from several thousand years before the first human civilizations in Mesopotamia, likely depicting sacramental use of psilocybin mushrooms. In the 40s and 60s, as we all know, and in fact, there's been a whole lot of history about it where the research into therapeutics, including the use of psychedelics was investigated and and there were a lot of NIH-funded studies. Those were early promising therapeutic findings with LSD to treat cancer-related distress in terminal cancer patients and alcoholism. I think the bottom line is this. We have had history of that. It really also was well commonly used by, for recreational purposes and actually got into disrepute because it led to some of the major side effects or problems and complications from it. In the 2000s, there has now been a renewed interest I think we are at a juncture where we have to really think about what to seriously consider where its use for treatment should be. One of the things that has happened is there's been a lot of commercial interest in this. So there is a very large amount of investment from uh, investors and commercial uh, entities trying to study it in various conditions, including depression where we have to start thinking about it more carefully is there hasn't been enough attention and research in actually understanding both the mechanism, what it does in the brain, and more importantly, what are the risks? What are the side effects? And we really have to be thinking very carefully and judiciously as we go forward. And I'm so excited to have Dr. Manish Jacques today join us because what we want to really lay out first is what is the rationale for its use, what are the likely effects, and then also put the necessary amount of caution and talk about the path forward. I think much more research needs to happen. We are really beginning those those research studies at UT Southwestern in our center. There are a number of institutions around the country that have also started psychedelic research centers. And I think the key for the next five to 10 years is to going to be to really carefully understand it, because one thing is very clear from at least all the evidence so far, that there's some good to be had with using psychedelics and some serious risks that we really need to understand.
0: Great. Thank you. And as you said, there's been a lot of excitement in the medical community. There is Uh, a historical basis for some of that interest uh, from the forties or sixties and then a long dormancy. We're back at it now and it's also becoming more mainstream. I've seen articles on all major news networks in recent months about psilocybin as an effective treatment for depression and anorexia nervosa and MDMA as an effective treatment for PTSD and comorbid alcohol abuse. So let's just first start by defining the term psychedelics for this discussion. What drugs are considered
2: psychedelics? So one is psilocybin. Obviously, everybody talks about it. It's actually a mushroom, right? And there are many psychoactive compounds in these mushrooms, and there are different kinds of mushrooms with different psychoactive agents. They primarily work as an agonist on the 5-HT2A or the serotonin-2A receptor systems. There is the, it, this is the same category as LSD, masculine, and dimethyltryptamine. Other drugs like MDMA uh, and ketamine are also sometimes called psychedelic. For example, when you give ketamine, 40 to 50% of patients will develop psychoactive as in uh, dissociative symptoms. At least in ketamine, fortunately, we've done extensive studies with it. Those are short-lasting, reversible, and do not lead to constant or continuous psychotic symptoms in the future. So there we have done the hard work of recognizing what are the risks and therefore we can avoid them. With psilocybin and other psychedelics, that is the kind of work that needs to happen.
0: Fantastic, thank you. And Dr. Ja, I wanna talk about some of the studies looking at psilocybin for depression, but first, can you just tell us some of the basics? So. In the research using psilocybin as a treatment for depression, how is it administered, and in what setting?
1: So that that's a great question. So most studies of treatment of depression with psilocybin use psilocybin in an oral capsule form or some kind of an oral formulation where it's taken by mouth, and then in the uh, in our intestine it gets broken down into psilocin, which is the active compound. So taking by mouth has that advantage. Uh, but, and also it's done in the context of therapy administered along with it. So that's why it's psychedelic assisted psychotherapy where uh, people are uh, meet with therapists before t- undergoing the treatment. On the day of the treatment, there are trained therapists available with them in the session. And then often it's along with listening to some kind of a calming, soothing music that helps people uh, experience the psilocybin effect in a better fashion. Usually there are eye shades over the eye. So to minimize the outside world's impact on their experiences. And then often it's associated with uh, integration sessions afterwards on the next day or subsequent days, where uh, allowing the experience to be integrated into their mental health. And often there are two sessions. So sometimes they're about uh, several weeks apart. So three weeks apart. And that has been the paradigm to date of using psilocybin for treatment of uh, depression.
2: One of the things to remember is that these psychedelic effects that we are talking about, they are really out of body experience or sort of feel like it's almost like a psychotic symptoms. And so it does scare people, both the person who has taken it and people around them. So we have to make sure that these medications are delivered first The quantity and amount delivered should be carefully monitored. And then the setting, which is what Dr. Jai is talking about, the setting has to be very carefully done. And in order to reduce that anxiety, or at least that scary feeling people experience, psychotherapy and other forms of support are inbuilt when you do studies with psilocybin.
0: Exactly. And as you just mentioned, I know that in some areas, there is that pre-treatment period where the patient is evaluated, they undergo sort of a training to get them ready for what they might experience, which as you said, could be something like anxiety, but I know there are also reports of highly meaningful, highly spiritual experiences as well and getting people comfortable with what that might look like. So can you walk us through sort of what the treatment protocol is, like what the different levels and steps are?
1: so uh, keeping in mind that most uh, of the work is within the realm of research studies so far so it often starts with even like a careful screening so of all people who go undergo the experience we may screen 10 times more people to see if they would be appropriate for this or not then part of that screening process extends into preparation for the treatment where they come in and uh, they meet with uh, the members of the team to establish that relationship and then undergo an experience and then as Dr. Trivedi was saying that that experience has to be in a comfortable surrounding so that uh, during the acute experience, there is less sense of anxiety or worry or sort of feeling fearful that their ego is uh, sort of dissolving away. More of the soothing and mystical experiences are enhanced. And then there is the follow up where the integration happens. One key aspect of these studies have been the relatively, like even though the experience of psilocybin could have been over a few weeks, the follow-ups could extend for months at all, which is the exciting aspect where improvements may last for six months, nine months after a treatment, which is really a paradigm shift for the kind of treatments we use currently for mental illnesses.
0: And what are the primary outcomes of the study? So are they looking at reduction in symptoms or remission or tolerance or safety?
1: So that's again a great question. So uh, when we are studying depression, we often do multiple assessments over time because we know the symptoms do change over time. And so often we would use like change over time, that tends to be one of the main outcomes. But also, as you said, remission and response, these are important aspects A so remission is when someone has no or minimal symptoms. So that often is also looked as one of the outcomes of improvement in depression. Response we call is more than 50% improvement from baseline. So the studies so far have looked at all these But again, these are, as Dr. already said, these are early days. So a key aspect of these studies have also been about safety and tolerability. So how well can people tolerate the psychedelic experience? And it could vary from person to person. So those are, again, in the early stages, they're really important aspects of the studies being done right now.
2: I think, again, this reminds us, we have to also remember that there is both the sort of reason to do it and also caution. The reason is both depression, for example, those for whom the current treatments don't work is devastating. It really affects their life significantly. So therefore we have to look for more, com- more uh, important treatment options. The caution is as Dr. Jaya is saying, this is still early days.
0: So on that note, what have these studies been showing so far?
1: Okay, so I mean, as we started, there has been a wealth of information about this, but there was that hiatus in the science where a lot of the use was sort of driven underground. And only in the past decade, there have been several high quality studies on the use of psychedelics for treatment of anxiety, depression. So the early studies focused on uh, the distress associated with cancer. And that was where a a very robust uh, improvement was seen in symptoms of depression and anxiety in uh, individuals who had cancer and uh, distress surrounding that. Then there were, in, in the past year, there have been a couple of really important studies about psilocybin for treatment of depression. There was the study from Johns Hopkins group where their people had two psilocybin study and the control was a weightless control. So people waited till they got, and it showed a big impact size. So effect size that individuals who received psilocybin, they had a big improvement in their depressive symptoms. Within four weeks, over half of them had met the criteria of remission. We just talked about which is no to minimal symptoms, and the, the, it sort of like uh, set the template that uh, use of psilocybin was associated with great improvement in symptoms. Then, uh, another study that was uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine actually compared psilocybin with a conventional antidepressant, acetalopram which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, one of the more commonly prescribed antidepressant medication. And that study was set up a bit differently where there were two arms in that study. One arm individuals got a psychedelic dose of psilocybin with oral pill placebo. And in the other arm, people got a low dose, a really low dose of psilocybin, one milligram, along with acetalopram. And the primary outcome of that study, it was a small study, but it showed that psilocybin and uh, antidepressant had kind of similar efficacy on the primary outcome. But on a lot of secondary, when you said like, what other outcomes do people measure on a lot of other outcomes? It seemed that psilocybin was associated in six weeks, was associated with greater improvements. Than a conventional antidepressant, acetylopram.
2: The related issue: people are also beginning to wonder how better microdosing for this, as well as other psychedelics, may be a better option. We don't know the answer, but maybe give some idea of why would somebody think of that, and what are where, what is the status currently?
1: So, uh, microdosing is the use of a uh, medication or a psychedelic compound that is a. Uh, 10 to 20 fold lower dose, so really small amounts as compared to the psychedelic experience. And really uh, the, there, uh, the paradigm tends to be more common use. So maybe several times a week, that sort of micro dosing paradigm that it's not leading to the psychedelic experience, but people take it and then sort of utilize it in their day-to-day uh, life and integrating those experiences. Now, uh, it, I think uh, again here, the practice or use Uh, far outpaces what the science is there. So uh, I have heard you say often that there may be more publications on something than actually patients undergoing rigorous research study. And that uh, unfortunately happens with microdosing also that evidence is limited. But I think the challenges are that we haven't yet formulated a clear paradigm where we can study it and effectively get to where uh, these outcomes could be systematically studied.
0: Thank you for that explanation. So as we get into more research um, about the potential phenotypes or subtypes of depression, there has been indication that different treatments can be more successful for different people that have different clinical presentations and neurobiological aspects of their depression. Is this something that's going to be looked at with psychedelics or has the research shown improvements across the board?
1: So that's again, a great question. Uh, You know, one of the earlier podcasts, Dr. Trivedi talks about the precision psychiatry. And work from our center has also shown that certain uh, pathophysiological mechanisms like systemic inflammation may help us choose one type of antidepressant versus another. Unfortunately, that's not really where the science is with psychedelics right now, because again, even the most impactful uh, randomized controlled trial had less than 30 people in each arm. So, uh, and we know that depression or major depressive disorder is a, fairly heterogeneous disease. So uh, to understand the subgroup effect is really limited there. And the other aspect is that while very promising, we are seeing yet again that remission rates are between 50 to 60%. So that means about maybe one in two person may not improve with it. So uh, applying some of those uh, precision uh, approaches to identify people who are more likely to improve with this can help advance the science even further. So really, and uh, that is recognized by people who are doing research now that it involves assessment of biological markers so that we can find the right people for whom the use of a psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is the right treatment.
2: But I think you raised the most important thing that we want the listeners to go over with. There is clearly a lot of excitement because there is a big need. On the other hand, there's an urgent need for us to do the research and the hard work of trying to actually understand this, both in terms of its direct effect and side effects and risks. And as you've just mentioned, we have to start beginning to incorporate the idea of understanding the biological markers associated with it so that we give this treatment when it's out only to the right people and not for people who don't benefit from it. And that work needs to happen and needs to happen urgently. Otherwise we will be much farther ahead with treatments that we don't understand. And that is what really does a big disservice to our patients.
0: Yes, right. definitely. And, and you've mentioned a few times, so there are definitely some risks associated with psychedelic use in a treatment setting. Um, Manish, what are those risks?
1: So uh, definitely uh, they can, we have to carefully identify people that they don't have an underlying psychotic disorder. So we know that some, uh, sometimes psycho- psychotic symptoms can happen as part of depression, can happen as part of bipolar disorder, or individuals may have a primary psychotic disorder. So we have to be careful when using these kind of uh, substances in those individuals. Also, we talked about how uh, so the experience could be pre- uh, anxiety and panic Uh, promoting and so if a person is not mentally prepared for that, that can be very burdensome and the data does say show that that those kind of symptoms during the acute experience then predicts poorer outcomes so less likelihood of benefiting from the psychedelic experience. I also want to highlight the really important role of a prior history of trauma is because that's a crucial aspect we consider when uh, offering these kind of treatments because uh, the trauma and the psychedelic uh, the the dissociative experiences or psychedelic experiences could be very distressing and so ensuring that people feel safe while they are undergoing this experience May, uh, requires a lot more preparation and may require a lot more integration
2: say more about the similarities and differences in this dissociative effect that people who have had experience with trauma or now get psychedelics experience because i think that is one of the things we want to make sure that we understand before we give these medications to people who may actually re- find it very unpleasant
1: so uh, In the field almost, there has been sort of a branching that MDMA has been studied more in the context of uh, PTSD or trauma, whereas psilocybin has been studied more in the context of depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, substance use, and things like that. And uh, really, uh, and when you look at the paradigm in which these treatments, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies are being administered, the MDMA treatments have a lot more preparation and integration because that's recognizing the fact that the psychedelic experience with trauma may temporarily make things even worse, may even evoke more acute worsening in the acute stage. So that's why it requires a lot more preparation. The studies of psilocybin, in contrast, have been fairly limited in that uh, integration or preparation Mm -hmm. phases. So in in some sense, uh, really the data is missing for what would happen with post-traumatic stress disorder plus depression in individuals who are treated with psilocybin.
2: And we know from the sixties and seventies data that people, especially on LSD, when they had bad trips and those, those, those were the patients who, people who should not have potentially used it because that is really the wrong medication for them. And in those days, at least the other problem was there was a lot of mixing and matching with a lot of other uh, drugs of use in, in, in pharmacological age.
0: What
1: about addiction? Is that a risk? So uh, we know that from a wealth of literature uh, and wealth of data available that the classical psychedelics, as Dr. Verdi said in the early part of the talk today, are associated with minimal risks. Of this. So they're, not, they're definitely abused, but not as widely abused as common drugs of abuse. So I would say that the risk of addiction is on the lower side.
0: And what is the mechanism by which psychedelics may work for depression? So you mentioned something about their serotonin agonists. What does that mean?
1: So uh, yeah, th- that's a great question. I think uh, the answer to that is a lot is still unknown. Uh, these drugs, as Dr. Trivedi said, that they are characterized by their action on a specific type of serotonin receptor, five HT two A, and. Uh, well, how that leads to improvement is still something that's a, an active area of interest, but we know that these acute experiences are associated with widespread changes in the way our brain regions talk to each other, what we call the neurocircuitry. So how how different parts of brain, uh, how they relate to each other, how they are connected to each other, there are definitely changes associated there. We also know our now preclinical work is showing that Use of uh, these psychedelic compounds may be leading to increased uh, neuroplasticity, allowing us to acquire new information or reframe new information in a different fashion. And that's why the one aspect of research is how important is therapy along with the psychedelic experience, and whether the uh, psychedelic experience allows therapy to be integrated in a better fashion. So, uh, still not much, uh, a lot to learn about this. Uh, Dr. Chavedi, do you have any thoughts on this?
2: No, I think that is the research we got to do. I mean, I think that this is one of those treatments. Most often, we in psychiatry struggle with the opposite problem. We have treatments that are available, we have studies that show that that they work, but people don't use them. In this case, we are at the opposite problem. The field is, I mean, the use and the attention to it and the public attention has gone so much farther ahead than where we are with research. And uh, at least more closer to our heart at the center is really to understand and do some of the research in order to help answer these questions.
0: So when you're speaking about some of those biological components or how the, it works on the different networks of the brain, are they doing MRIs in the study to look at those things?
1: So, so great question. Some of the studies have included that where there is an MRI component before treatment and after. Uh, there have been some small studies where the impact of uh, psilocybin and the scanner has also been studied. But again, these have been done at a limited scale so far. And there is really a need to do a lot more and for us to understand these mechanisms in a better fashion.
0: That makes sense. Well, we will keep our eyes out for that research into how they are affecting or um, how they are working on our brain and inside of our bodies. So Dr. Trivedi, what are the challenges associated with studying psychedelics for mental health disorders?
2: I think we have been talking about the issues already, and that is we really have to first do the research necessary to understand the following. What is the right dose? What is the right frequency? How long should you use it? And the most important thing is who should be the right person to get it and who should not avoid using these. And those research studies have to be done. There are in, in, important study design questions when you conduct a study with psychedelics that the researchers should always be mindful of and we can talk about it at another time. But basically, if you are trying to do a double blind study as we generally do for understanding the use of these medications, It is very hard to do a truly double-blind study with the psychedelic people. The patient knows, the patient's relatives know, the coordinator knows, the doctor knows what they got. So therefore, how best to get a true signal of this is the challenge of the day for this. And we and others are really addressing that by making sure that we do studies in such a way that the signal we get is a true signal. But that remains a challenge.
0: Great, thank you. Now, I think we'll just jump in. We have some listener questions, the first of which is, are there suggested age minimums for treatment?
1: So, a uh, great question. Uh, studies to date have focused in adults, so 18 or older. Uh, we know that depression and untreated depression in youths is a major problem, but that unfortunately has not been a focus of the research to date.
0: How do you approach a patient who has previous experience with psychedelics? How would that affect the approach to treatment or outcomes, or are they just excluded from the studies?
1: So uh, they may be included early on because they would be more likely safe and tolerable. But as Dr. Trivedi said, blinding becomes a major concern. So if they have experienced psychedelics before, uh, receiving a placebo or a similar comparator compound would not be blinded enough. So that that becomes a major uh, research challenge for us to consider.
0: Hmm, That makes sense. So there's interest across a variety of agents like psilocybin and LSD, MDMA, ketamine, although those aren't classic psychedelics. For the sake of this question, we will include them. Have there been any studies that combine the use of psychedelic agents either at the same time or over different weeks? Um, Would that be effective or would you ever only focus on one?
1: So the simple answer is no. There haven't been studies to understand this mix and match. I think uh, in science, we start with the first step. So to first understand what they do, what the mechanism is, what impact they have before we go on to the next step of trying to combine and mix and match uh, any of these compounds. So, Dr. Ravali, did you have any thoughts on this?
2: No, I think the way to think about it is exciting times. This is a one set of new treatments that we should study, first understand them individually, then study them together.
0: And as a follow-up to that, if one type does not improve symptoms, would there ever be a reason to move to another once we potentially have the, the data to show that it, they are individually effective?
1: Yeah, well, we know, like, uh, at least in psychiatry right now, till we have the precision psychiatry approaches, it's a trial and error process. And I would plug Dr. Toretti's work on measurement-based care here, because once we use measurements to make sure a treatment hasn't worked, then we can move on to an alternate treatment option and that would apply here also.
2: And that is true for most medical illnesses. So, For somebody who has rheumatoid arthritis or, or heart hypertension, they may have to move from one treatment to the other if the first doesn't work. So that is really what is likely to happen.
0: Well, I am very interested in learning more. You'll have to keep us updated on the future studies that are coming out and the progress being made in that field. Thank you both again so much for talking to us today. Um, Dr. Jaw, do you want to let people know where they can uh, find your research or contact you?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, through the UT Southwestern website at the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care, or CDRC. Um, uh, our research is available there.
0: Fantastic. And thank you, Dr. Trivedi and Dr. Jaw. That is it for this episode of Brainstorm Decoding Depression with your hosts from the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. Be sure to follow us on social media at UTSW underscore CDRC so you don't miss our episode announcements. If you have suggestions for topics or questions you'd like answered, we have a new email address, decodingdepressionpodcast at UTSouthwestern.edu. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.